0: This episode is presented by Curator. Curator is an all-encompassing curated lifestyle membership for the modern woman. With style expert Rachel Zoe at the helm, Curator delivers member value via the curated lens of confidence, convenience, and community. Curator delivers coveted name brand fashion, beauty, and home essentials right to your door every season. Each seasonal box of style includes five pieces to elevate your
1: style. The new Winter Curation features products from trailblazing female founders and designers to help you feel a bit more chic and confident this holiday season. Become a member now to get the Winter Curation, unlock year-round access to the members-only shop, and receive exclusive member benefits. Rachel Zoe's Curator is exclusively offering our listeners $30 off by using the code PODGO30 at curator.com. That's code PODGO30 for $30 off at curator.com. More than just a box, your trusted partner, and living a life well curated. Hey, sis, welcome back to the podcast. I'm Haley. And I'm Emma. And first of all, we just wanted to wish you guys a happy late Thanksgiving. It looked a bit different this year for both of us. Probably looked a little bit different for a lot of you too, um, but we still hope that you guys had a great day, that you got some yummy food, and that you have leftovers. Yeah. (laughs) Because we'll be living off leftovers for a week. (laughs) It's true.
0: Yeah, we just wanted to say that we're so thankful for you guys and the, the support and community that... is like building it's been so cool to watch grow and um yeah it's just exciting and we're grateful for you and this opportunity and the fact that you guys sit and listen to us that's like so cool so
1: yeah yeah so thank you so much for being here today's episode literally so excited um we are talking to one of my co-workers who is actually a therapist and she's been one of my mentors at work for a while now. Literally, one of my favorite people to just talk to. She's so wise. I want to so be here when nice. I grow up. Literally, literally. After we talked with her, I was like, Haley,
0: I if I'm not as half as like well thought out and well like spoken as she is by the time like in five to ten years, she's like a little bit older than us. Yeah. I was like, I would be happy, like even if I was just half as half that. Is
1: my, seriously, same just every conversation is so refreshing and so we hope that you guys find this episode helpful because honestly like I found so much of it useful I'm gonna listen to this like freaking 10 more times yeah
0: when I was editing I was literally like taking notes I was like oh my gosh like I've never heard this worded before like this or like I've never thought about it like this or like there was so much I learned too and I was just like this is so
1: good yes so so good she specializes in marriage and family she talks a lot about attachment trauma relationships boundaries boundaries, so many good things kind of applicable I would say around the holiday season as you might be getting together with family yeah just you know forward it to the family group chat (laughs) just kidding don't do that um but yeah anyway we are so excited so excited got so much out of this episode so without further ado adieu a Adieu. Adin. Without further ado. <laughs> here she is. Today we are here with Nicole Rizcala, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist. Um, she's also one of my co-workers slash mentors. And today she's just going to be talking about, honestly, a range of different topics. We have a lot of questions for her because, as you guys know, we're We're, so s- excited yeah. about this. <laughs> we're, we're super interested in behavioral health and, like, all of these topics. So, yeah, we have lots of stuff to dive into. Okay, so our first question. Well, do you
0: want to introduce yourself a little, and then just give like a background on who you are and how you got into this field and stuff like that?
2: Yeah, sure. I'm happy to. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Of course. Um, for being here. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So obviously, my name's Nicole, and um, I uh, have only been a therapist. I'm a baby therapist only for over a year now, but I worked as a school counselor for a number of years, and. Um, More recently I was in an inner city school um, helping students with like academic advising and college counseling and um, I really didn't feel comfortable doing that because they had so many needs that I felt were more important than their grades or um, about where they were going to go to school. And um, I found myself in a position of putting pressure on them to think about their future when they already had so much pressure going on in just their day to day life. Ooh. And so,
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: So I, um, yeah, I guess I just started asking like more basic questions, and I wanted to see the person who was in front of me. Um, and what I saw was just, a, yeah, a lot of people in pain, or um, families in disrepair, and students who had a lot of anxiety or depression or loneliness. And yet I was like demanding something of them to think about their future. Uh, So I didn't like that. And that got me thinking that, um, you know, maybe I should go back to school and and become a therapist. So um, so that was kind of like the main um, impetus behind me doing that. Of course, the second impetus is like trying to fix myself, my family and my friends. (laughs) (laughs) um, And it does help. So going to graduate school and studying these things does better your own life and mental health for sure.
1: That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Um, so okay, first question. Diving right in. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, like, whether you're on Twitter or Instagram or just talking to people, like people just like to joke about childhood trauma. Like I feel like there's just like this punchline <laughs> yeah. of childhood trauma. Yeah. Um, and so I was wondering, can you kind of like explain attachment and how it ties into trauma? Because mm-hmm. I know I've heard you say that those are related before and Mm -hmm. I'm not the most well-versed in attachment and attachment styles Mm -hmm. um so can you just kind of like elaborate on that for anyone who's not familiar
2: yes I absolutely love attachment it's like my specialty and my favorite thing to talk about so um yeah, so attachment uh, science basically started in the 50s uh, by like a British psychologist, John Bowlby. And he studied caregivers, so like moms and their babies. And it was kind of the first study done to see how babies attach to their primary caregiver. And from that study, he was able to develop kind of like our modern attachment styles. Obviously, it's been developed over over time. Uh, And I think in the 70s, um, one of his students, Mary Ainsworth, um, they did what's called the strange situation. And it was basically like a waiting room with a mom and her um, baby. like I think they did like 12 to 14 months. And the mom would be playing games with her daughter um, or son. And then a stranger would walk into the room and the mom would leave. And it kind of wanted to measure what would happen to the baby. And as you can imagine, like the baby would cry and become really dysregulated. Um, and then the mom would come back into the room, and then like the baby would calm down. Um, but not every baby responded exactly the same way. And so some, um, some babies, uh, when the mom returned and they could calm down, they could regulate themselves because of their uh, primary caregiver, that was kind of the secure attachment. Baby becomes distressed. Baby becomes just, you know, uh, releases the stress when the mom comes. Other babies would just keep crying, um, and we get really anxious, and they couldn't be calmed down, and they would keep clinging to their mom, and that was what would eventually become known as like the anxious, like ambivalent attachment style. Other babies, um, when their mom would come back, they would stop crying, but their bodies were still in distress, even though you couldn't see it, and that's like the avoidant. Um, like attachment style that it came on um, or you know later uh, was was coined uh, later on a fourth attachment style developed which is called disorganized and that um, is basically like a mix between um, anxious and avoidant but it's like more of the trauma response mm-hmm. and so the idea behind that is that secure attachment you can have a repair in your relation you can have a sorry you can you have a rupture in your relationship and you can repair it. Mm -hmm. So rupture, repair, rupture, repair, right? Babies aren't always going to have their mom around them all the time. That wouldn't Mm -hmm. be good. With the anxious, um, it's inconsistent parenting. So like sometimes the mom is there and sometimes the mom's not. And so the baby becomes really stressed all the time and thinks they have to cling on to their parent to be okay. Mm -hmm. The avoidant is like unworthy. Like it's inconsistent parenting. So it's like, I'm sorry, it's not inconsistent. It's, um, it's neglect. Mm-hmm. So it's a form of neglect in which they never felt like their parents really there for them, whether that's physically or emotionally. And so they think they're unworthy of love or attachment or affection. Uh, the disorganized is your parent is your source of comfort and your source of fear. So oh, oh. it's really hard yeah. to know how yeah. to get your needs bet and you're kind of put like in a double bind. So that's kind of how attachment theory grew. And they've done obviously a bunch more studies since then um but trauma one a definition of trauma is um, an attachment injury so there's that rupture that never gets repaired and what that means is there's like kind of a fragment or a break and whether that's how you relate to yourself um, or how you relate to other people that um there's just this injury that never heals. Um, so, trauma, like in Greek, means wound. So, mm-hmm. you can imagine that being like after this incident or this wound, um, you're a different person. Like, you're not quite who you were, whether you're less happy or more fearful or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, there's two types of trauma. I don't know if it's helpful to talk about those. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So there's, like, the capital T, big T trauma, which is what, like, everyone coins as, like, PTSD, the DSM-5 um, refers to it as that. And that's where there's, this like, life-threatening situation where um, it's so uh, traumatic that, um, you know, your body goes into that hypervigilance mode um, and feels powerless. And um, you're constantly in that state of danger because mm-hmm. of, you know, this, this incident it's, it's a single incident episode. Then there's the little T trauma, which is like chronic, um, complex trauma, which is these little, these little events that weren't life-threatening um, but lead to the same output of hypervigilance or hyperfearful or helpless um, or feeling a present danger where there isn't one You know, break of trust with yourself or society or um, people in your life. And so that could take the form of neglect growing up. That could take the form of like you know, covert covert sexual abuse, you know, psychological abuse. Those are all like little T traumas because it's not like this huge single episode incident. It's these little things over time that accumulate. And I think for people who have complex trauma, it can often feel like, why am I this way? My parents fed me. I had a good home. That was in sports. You know, I don't know what's wrong with me that I feel so isolated from other people or I feel like I don't know who I am, you know, in groups or Mm -hmm. things like that. So the joke is like, you know everything's trauma these days trauma 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 but yeah. if you recognize that there's like a different types of trauma um mm-hmm. and different degrees of trauma and you look at it from an attachment lens it does kind of make sense especially if you understand and the science backs us up that our identity is found in belonging you know like babies yeah. don't know who they are and you know when they're young they think they're their the, whoever's holding them type of thing so um so our body holds the trauma in our nervous systems and so I can talk about that more if you want but that's kind of like the gist of it um
0: yeah, yeah. so how does trauma affect your attachment style like your attachment I guess like I know one of the questions we have is like does will you, can your attachment style change based on like trauma as it happens in your life and is like trauma in different stages of life more likely to have an effect on your attachment style, I guess?
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I no, I think that's a really good question. I think, like, if we take, for example, the avoidant attachment style, that, you know, it's that neglect and not having, you know, your, you know, your cries as a baby or a young child met that make you develop this message about yourself that you're not worthy of love. And so you just avoid any conflict around relationships because what's the point? Other people can't meet your needs. Mm-hmm. So... It's that type of neglect, which is a form of trauma, okay. um, that is going to kind of inform that attachment style. But there's in utero trauma as
1: well. Oh know, my like God. So, <laughs> like, I know nothing about So this.
2: yeah, it's, um, so I feel like I'm, maybe I'm getting too big, but, um, but your attachment style can change, you know, the, the more you repair your relationships, whether that's your relationship to yourself or your relationship to other people, um, your attachment style can fluctuate, um, but the idea being that the more you grow in security of who you are and who other people are, um, and this has to do with boundaries as well, um, the more you can have a secure attachment style in your relationships that, hey, just because my friend and I had a fight doesn't mean like my world's falling apart, yeah. or you know, just because my boyfriend and I break up doesn't mean I'm not going to be able to do life anymore yeah, yeah um so if we think again trauma as a type of wound the more you heal that wound the yeah. more secure you can be but also sometimes different dynamics you might show up differently in those relationships so maybe in some relationships you're more of an avoidant um, attachment style um, again which means um, when there's stress or conflict you shy away from it and you shut down uh, whereas in other relationships you might be like that pursuer who's anxious and wants to get really clingy um, to hold on so that you know you're gonna be okay and that you can manage your anxiety mm-hmm. so again if if trauma is a stress on your nervous system and a stress in your body how do you choose to self-soothe and regulate that stress do you cut off or do you reach for for someone else to make you okay, and that's going to kind of show up sometimes differently, depending on who you're with and how they're treating you, and how important they are to you, and what meaning you've associated with it.
1: Yeah, I did not know that. I thought it was one across the board. And yeah, but I can you, like see that in my you, own life. People now. usually
2: have like a primary. Yeah, you know, a, prim- a, a primary attachment. I'm definitely like avoidant. Um, yeah. But yeah, you, as you can see sometimes how sometimes you're like, why am I not okay with this person not talking to me right yeah, now? Yeah, in certain you know. relationships,
1: I'm like, this is not me. Like, yeah. that's not who I am. <laughs> yeah, totally. That's, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm like shook. I know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you kind of, you started to touch on this, um, mm-hmm. the idea of boundaries. And mm-hmm. this is something that we talk about a lot on our podcast too, or like healthy relationships. And professionally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> um, Right, yeah, no training. Um, so can you just like talk a little bit about the importance of boundaries and like how to create healthy boundaries in friendships, like with your family, re- romantic relationships, mm-hmm. all of those things. Like because I think this is something that I have trouble with, and I've gotten better at as I've gotten older. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just can you talk about setting healthy boundaries and healthy relationships and things like that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think this does go to attachment because. Um, The idea behind boundaries is that um, boundaries is what allows us to be close to people. So we think of boundaries as like creating safety, which is true, but it's safety that allows us to be more vulnerable and to take risks. And so boundaries give us that sense of who we are and who the other is and where the us is in that. Mm, Um, Yeah. So I, I, I I preface that because I think boundaries can sometimes seem like no fun and like, you have to be like the bad guy or it's like, if you don't stand up for yourself, you know, people are going to walk all over you. And it's not that those things aren't true. Although people can't walk over you unless you give them permission to, you know, but it's really done from the point of of, um, of being able to have intimacy and in close relationships. So there's no intimacy without boundaries. So um, I kind of think of boundaries as like a permeated wall. I, like visuals really help me. So it's like, there are parts that people never get access to that are just mm-hmm. mine um, with like a dotted line or something. Yeah. But then there's also a space in between those lines that people can get in and that I can get out. Mm-hmm. And this connects to trauma, but, <laughs> Well, you know, one of the classic signs of trauma is rigidity, right? That I am not adaptable, that I am not flexible, that mm-hmm. I'm not able to sometimes open my wall more or open or close up my wall, depending on what's happening. And so when you have that secure attachment, you have flexibility to, to be vulnerable, to let people in, to close out things that aren't good for you, um, and so forth, Uh but when you have that trauma, it's just either people are all in or they're all out and mm-hmm. there's just no adaptability or flexibility in your human relationships, um, which is a really hard way to live because you're not really staying present to like what's happening yeah. or who's in front of you or who or how you're showing up. And so again, part of having good boundaries is knowing what's happening inside of you. Mm-hmm. Like why am I more nervous around this person over other people? Or, you know, why is it so important for this one person to like me, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And you notice, like, these different insecurities (laughs) um, or comfort levels around people. And if you can kind of slow down a little bit and see what's happening in your body, um, then you're going to know there's something, there's some work to be done around this, Mm -hmm. you know? And that's going to allow you to know how to adjust your boundaries, which is actually, that person's entitled to their opinion of me and it doesn't really matter. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm working too hard in this yeah. relationship. And so I can close up my boundary a little bit and be more confident in who I am in the moment. Or I'm cutting out someone who's like really trying to give me something good right now. Like, yeah. why am I being so rigid? Mm-hmm. Is that a good reason or a bad reason? If it's a good reason, keep that wall up. <laughs> you know, yeah. If it's like, if it's being done from a place of fear or self-protection. Then you can open up that boundary and see what happens. And so if you think of boundaries as like these permeable walls or things you can open and close up, I think it actually shows you how to have more authentic relationships with people because you're showing up in a way that feels both safe, but is also vulnerable and taking risks to, to grow closer to people. Yeah. So I don't I don't remember if there's like a second part to your question. No, that was good. I think okay. that's
0: yeah. I love that. I feel like we talk, I mean, i majored in behavioral health so i've taken yeah. some of those classes or whatever yeah. and so we talk about boundaries but it just sounds like such a it sounds like such a wall that you're it to- just like totally does.
2: yeah it's no fun right no. like who yeah. wants to live their life like thinking other people are going to hurt them so much they have to have this wall up yeah
0: yeah but what what you're saying about like letting people in and like getting out too like you're not trapped behind that and able to be seen and like that is that's good yeah <laughs> that's helpful yeah. yeah
2: and again because those really rigid boundaries are signs of trauma, it's going to point you in the direction of where your healing can start to happen mm-hmm. in the present, you know? So I just think there's so, there's so much we have to pay attention to in our bodies because our bodies are right. They're actually physical <laughs> uh, yeah. reactions happening to real time encounters, and they're going to give you the signs of what you need to work on. Um, so I don't want to like over I don't want to like go too deep but like I guess I can leave it there yeah
1: Yeah. that's really good Mm -hmm. I like that you said just like that it can help foster like more vulnerability because I feel like that's just very counterintuitive like when I hear the word boundary I don't think like yeah that can be a tool for more connection it's like that's a tool to like cut off connection so I think that's a really helpful explanation yeah good um okay so we do have a few questions from our listeners um a lot of our listeners are our age or a little bit younger mm-hmm. um but yeah i think the first one of the f- first questions we got was how do you talk to your parents about how you're feeling because honestly at any stage of life even though now like both of us are adults mm-hmm. like we've had to have co- hard conversations with our parents about mm-hmm. like things we're going through and like teenagers i think living in your parents house like i don't know just like <laughs> how do you go about having those hard conversations with your parents letting them know how you're feeling when it's like a really scary maybe like a scary situation maybe you don't know what's going on maybe you're just like i don't know having these feelings like how do you how do you tell them that um mm-hmm. yeah
2: gosh it's so hard cuz it's i think it kind of depends um, parent to parent or person to person. Um, I certainly have some ideas, but I'm curious, actually, since you guys are living it, what your <laughs> thoughts are on it.
1: Oh, um, <laughs> She's like, I'm, she's be like-, like you. <laughs>
2: I'm happy to like fill in anything that you guys don't no, say, that's, but that's, I actually yeah. think you might be better suited to answer this.
1: Um, well, like
0: thinking about what you were just saying about boundaries and stuff and like knowing who you are within that relationship, um, I think maybe going into it just like knowing – where you want the conversation to go and what points you want to get across, and then knowing where you where you don't want it to go and like your' you' you're fluid, but mm-hmm. they are boundaries of um of protection so that you still feel safe, even though they are your parents. And it's kind of, I know for me, it was really hard to get to the point where I was like, my parents, like, won't know everything, Mm -hmm. and my parents don't have to know everything, Mm -hmm. um, even though I may, like, want to because I, like, that's just how you grow up, you know, you grow up with that, hopefully, Mm -hmm. that security, um, and letting them know things, but, um, and so that makes the boundary setting, like, kind of hard because that's never been really done before, but it, um, it adds to who you are and, like, who you're becoming and and your safety emotionally. Mm-hmm. Because I know for me, my my parents do have, like, a lot of sway on, like, how I'm doing emotionally. So if you can go in knowing what I want to say, the points I want to get across, and, like, where's too far, mm-hmm. I feel like it's a more productive conversation. Yeah. yeah, for sure.
1: I think, like, what you touched on, that your parents don't know everything is kind of something that you really do have to have in the back of your mind because like there's like the older you get the more you realize my parents are faking it just as much as I am <laughs> like you know they, they don't know how to handle certain situations and so like remember that like I don't know their first response like if, if it's not something that they're suspecting or even if it is like their first response they might have no clue how to handle it or no clue like what to do because they're human they're fallible they're trying to figure it out um so just like i think remembering that and also like i think that most parents hopefully do want the best for you but i think that gets really i think parents concern for you and care for you gets very lost in translation um and so trying to not i'm not saying like make assumptions about how they react but understand that like they really do care for you and want the best for you. And that might not be coming through. And like sometimes the things that parents say can be hurtful Mm -hmm. and it's coming from a place of love from them, but that's, it's just like not being said in the right way, I guess. Um, But like ultimately all you can control is what you share, what you Mm -hmm. choose to share and um, like how you, how you share it. But I think like, I do think like openness is just the best solution Mm -hmm. as hard as, as hard as it is to be like okay this is like really scary to like tell you i i do think that it it really will further the relationship in most cases mm-hmm. um and build hopefully greater trust and just like allow for more more vulnerability within your relationship with your parents which is very important i think um like emma said boundary like knowing your boundaries is important because like you do still have to have that with people in your family which I don't think is something that we're Mm -hmm. taught especially I would say like in Christian culture particularly Mm -hmm. and also as like women too Mm -hmm. that like you're supposed to have boundaries with your family and the people you love um so I think knowing that is helpful too and also that like when it comes down to like the practical ways of like actually telling them if you can't like say something to them write it down like mm-hmm. I'm really bad at like yeah. I, I'll start crying immediately if there's something <laughs> hard that I need to talk about mm-hmm. so it's like write it down like there's stuff I've literally texted my mom been like yeah. this is how I feel I have literally can't talk about it I'm gonna text you even when I was living in her house you know yeah. and like I I don't know I think that's okay like know what works for you and what doesn't in mm-hmm. terms of like talking to other people um That was really long-winded. No, I I think think, that, yeah, yeah,
2: no, you guys, that was awesome. I think that was so helpful um, in being able to tap into your own experience and all the emotions that come up and talking to parents, especially the point you made about like having, like, we're not necessarily cognizant of the fact that family or parents are people that you sometimes do have to have boundaries around. Yeah. And I think the challenge, too, um, is that when, you know, your life is changing or you're going off to college or you're leaving college, there's... You're kind of always thinking about yourself and your life and what you're thinking and feeling, but mm-hmm. parents don't. Parents aren't getting that right. Yeah. So it's a learning curve for your parents as well, um, and uh, I really like. Um, what you both said about like how much parents love you and how close, like there's a closeness there when you're a child and they want the best for you and things like that. But when you're changing and growing, that's not always clear. And so much of being an adult is being able to make decisions for yourself. And so their role in your life is changing, but that's an education for them
1: Mm -hmm.
2: uh, that takes time. So giving them that patience as well as um, being really clear about what you're looking for. So I think sometimes we don't realize how much power and influence we have with our parents because we still see ourselves as the child. But, yeah. um, but when Literally you can really what I'm going,
0: <laughs> like that's what we're talking about in therapy nice. right now. <laughs> yeah.
2: But it's like, if you can be really clear about what's happening for you and actually what you're expecting from them, um, I think they they will respond yeah. in the way that you're asking them, but they don't know how to respond unless you tell them. Yeah. Be- they, yeah. they're going to respond the way they think they should respond. But if you actually know what you're needing in that moment, I just need reassurance that you mm-hmm. still love That's me. Really good. You know, or I just need to know that like you have my back if I take this risk and you know it doesn't work out. Or I just want you to know this. I don't. Yeah. I'm not even looking for a conversation right now. Like if you can just be really clear and give them those guidelines. Um, that helps the relationship as well. One thing that is really helpful too, it's like the, I don't remember, it's like the talking, it has some name, but it's something like, um, especially if you're confronting your parents about something they do that you don't like. Um, and it's not just like sharing something about your life, but it's it goes something like, When I see this, I think this and I feel this, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. so when I see you um, telling me what to do when it comes to my relationship, you know, I think that you don't trust me. Right. And that Mm -hmm. makes me feel sad and like that I can't that I shouldn't share these things with you, you know, Mm -hmm. or makes me feel like you know, um, that we're not going to be close or, you know, so if you can kind of use those talking points, um, then you're hitting all the key markers so that they understand your experience. Because when you are talking about something important to you, you're probably not going to say it well, yeah. cause you're nervous and your prefrontal cortex goes offline. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so if you can keep it simple again, um, that just gives your parents a chance to know how to show up for you better.
1: Yeah, I That's think awesome. I think asking for what you need is really important. Yeah. I've definitely had to like learn to do that because parents want to fix things like they yeah. don't want to see you in totally. pain so they want to fix things but totally. sometimes you're like I don't need this fix and I that's
2: part of you like every relationship yeah I was you gonna know, say I feel like, like what
1: you said goes for literally yeah. every relationship
2: think of your boyfriend or your husband one day and they're gonna see you in pain and they're gonna try to fix it and yeah. if you can just be like I just need you to hug me right now that's all I need and they're like it's that easy oh, okay you yeah. know it's yeah. like I can give you a hug it's like yeah, yeah stop working so hard
0: <laughs> yeah no it's true yeah okay so this one is for college students looking to go into this field Mm -hmm. um but it can be kind of overwhelming Mm -hmm. i mean i know (laughs) and (laughs) you know yeah (laughs) um but can you talk a little bit about that process and getting experience and your advice advice for somebody trying to figure out what they want to do yeah
2: i mean i think
0: you have to kind of
2: well with any risk you have to be okay with failure and asking for help. So um, what that means is you just have to do your homework as well. So researching the program, sitting in on classes, being really, um, you know, much of a go-getter and getting people to get back to you as well. Uh, Doing your homework. You know, I didn't, I, did a bunch of research, I sat in a couple of classes, I talked to some people, you know, and I felt super prepared. And I when I got there, I still didn't feel prepared. You know, I was like, Oh, I didn't know I was gonna be sitting with people in their pain all day. You know? Yeah. (laughs) So um, why didn't someone tell me this, you know, so you're always gonna have these like obvious blind spots. So the first thing is like, do your homework and give yourself a bunch of grace, because you're never going to be able to be perfectly prepared for it. Uh, But then the I would also just like trust your gut and working backwards as well. So Like, if you know you want to work with kids, like, focus on that. If you know you want to work with something more largely related to advocacy or systems, you know, focus on that and, you know, the social work component. If you know relationships um, is something that you're super motivated and driven by and you want to do family therapy, focus on that, you know, and then you'll kind of whittle your way down to where you need to go. But... um, in just like general categories to give some advice, the licensed personal counselor is not an attachment driven model. It's an individual um, psychodynamic model. So you're studying more like traditional psychology. Um, if um, if attachments and relationships is something that motivates and excites you, you're going to want to go the marriage and family uh, therapy track. So that's the M- MFD Um and that's you're not you're not studying to do any individual therapy, although you do individual therapy, but you're doing it in the context context of relationship to self mm-hmm. and others. So that's one. You know, you got LPC licensed personal counselor. You got MFT marriage and family therapist, and then you have like I guess the biggie the other big one is the MSW, um, where you would become a licensed um, social worker, and that's where again you can do therapy. Um, as the other fields can, but you're gonna be focused more on the, the social systems mm-hmm. um, and how those impact the human person um, and different communities. And then from there, it's like doctorates. <laughs> so yeah. um, if you're super ambitious, um, you can get a doctorate of marriage and family therapy, which is attachments and relationships, or you could do um, a, a PsyD or a doctorate in psychology, which is general psychology. Um, and then you have the psychiatry path, which is medical school and, like, yeah. a ton of pharmacology and drugs and stuff like yeah. that. So I don't know if that's helpful, but those are, like, the big buckets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but you can research those, mm-hmm. um, and hopefully that just gives you, like, a starting point.
1: Yeah, I think that's really helpful. We had a presentation in one of my classes last year about, like, all the different – Is literally on everything you that's just cool. said in detail. And then after she was, like – my professor was like, okay, um, if you're having an existential crisis right now, <laughs> it is okay. And I was like, yeah, that would be me. And I remember I, like, texted you and I was like, yeah, we need to get coffee because I have no freaking clue totally. what I'm doing. And, yeah. yeah, I do think talking to people who are in the field, too, is super helpful because mm-hmm. they can provide insight. Um,
2: yeah, And trusting your gut, it's you know, because so, you know? yeah, it's like it's you, you talk to people, but you can also just, like, talk your way into doing it like 10 different things so definitely talk to people so you so you're working with all the information but at the end of the day like you have to just take that risk and also know what you're capable of and of what you want to do like I did not want my doctorate I was like I don't want to be in school for six years I don't want to be over a hundred thousand dollars in debt like that's just not where I am in life I'm older it's my second career you know yeah so um but if you're younger and you're like, I don't care, like I'm starting my path, I'm going to earn it back, like go for the doctorate. If you're just yeah. like, no, I really want to be a clinician, I want to be working, you know, with people doing that higher level research and writing is not my thing, like then go the master's path. Um, yeah. So, um, so you'll figure it out. Just have confidence that it will come yeah. together at some
0: point. Um, you are one year into it, right? Is that what you said?
2: Yeah. So I'm working on my se- I'm second year as a clinician. So okay.
0: I, yeah. So I've already graduated and have
2: my license now, but it's my second year working with clients. Okay. Mm-hmm. What
0: were some of your like? You were talking about blind spots or just like surprises going into? Oh my that. gosh.
2: My first client was a witch.
1: <laughs> I was like it's me. <laughs>
2: It's like there wasn't like counseling witches class. Yeah. Yeah. So um that, one. that was okay, so that's not a real blind spot. That was just like a huge it's what unexpected. the heck. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, what were some blind spots? Yeah, I, I mean I kind of said it earlier, but it's so silly thinking back on it, but I wasn't prepared to sit with people in their pain for like hours every day. Yeah. And it was like, Wait, how do I take care of myself now that I'm doing doing that? And um I think that was just something that I had to kind of figure out early on because it started to like give me anxiety and stress me out. Um, and then there was like a part of me that didn't want to become a good therapist because if I became a good therapist that means I would just be with other people's pain the rest of my yeah. life. So mm-hmm. you kind of like psych yourself out in some ways when it gets harder. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think coming out on the other side, it's like actually the better therapist you become, the easier it gets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's just more intuitive. Uh, And you're able to offer more of yourself without it taking more energy. So um, don't be scared. (laughs) I'm not trying to scare anyone from doing this. Um, We need good therapists for sure. Um, I would say like another blind spot to, um, and it goes back to trauma being in your body, but being an attachment therapist, um, part of the work is doing what we call present process. Mm-hmm. So what's happening in the therapy room and the here yeah. and now. And that what that means is when someone is sharing, let's say like a sexual abuse or something that happened, like I have to run their experience through my like nervous system mm-hmm. so I get that felt sense of what it was like for them wow. so that I can like deepen their experience of it so that they don't have to be alone in that fear mm-hmm. and pain. Wow,
0: yeah. That's crazy. And
2: i think i was just looking for like a ton of shortcuts cuts and was going super cerebral or left brain if we can explain it and make sense of it yeah. then we have we know the negative thoughts associated with it and you can just change your thoughts around it mm-hmm. but actually like one theory the theory of change in my model um is a corrective emotional experience so again your nervous system codes experiences your brain codes experiences mm-hmm. then your brain is primed to experience other experiences with that filter so you're re-traumatizing yourself right um but the way you change your brain is by having a corrective emotional experience when you experience your fear safely with someone else so you're not stuck Mm -hmm. there alone and so the fact that like I had to just learn how to regulate my body and really go into it with them and almost feel it sometimes a little bit more for them so they could dip into that. Yeah. That was just something I was like, oh, I didn't know this good. <laughs> I didn't know this is what I meant to be a therapist. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like you like we have these ideas of what being a therapist is like helping other people or, you know, really being there. But like when you get down to the nitty gritty of it, it's it's pretty cool like it requires your whole self yeah, yeah um and i guess i wasn't expecting to give myself like in that way as a therapist yeah i didn't um, know that that's, yeah that's mm-hmm.
1: like a whole cool other level of empathy yeah
2: it is and um it's not for everyone yeah, you know yeah, but totally. good thing i didn't know what i was setting up for good
1: thing i went into a blind <laughs> yeah so yeah
2: um other blind spots are It takes a ton to get to where you want to be as a therapist. It's Mm -hmm. just a lot of work. Like, you have to have hours as a student. Then you have to graduate and have more hours until you can, like, open up your own practice or be independently licensed. So I guess what I would say is, like, um, give yourself time to get to where you want to be professionally. I'm just, like, very ambitious, and I like things to move a little bit faster. Mm -hmm. But if you can just give yourself, like, the acknowledgement that the work you're doing is – Oh, it's a healing, uh, profession. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's because of the level of humanity that it entails, it's, it's not going to be like just the degree, mm-hmm. like some other jobs, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's probably going to take you like 10 years to feel like you've arrived where you are, yeah. um, in terms of like competency and skill set and training and, you know, financial stuff. But the cool thing is like you get to invest in your own humanity. So yeah. this line of work, um. Yeah, I just think it's very, very special. And I don't think there are too many other professions like it.
1: Yeah. I do want to add on to, as you said, it's not for everyone. But I also do want to say, like, there are things that can be taught. Because for most of my life, like, people in high school would be like, oh my gosh, you should be a counselor. You'd be such a good counselor. And I would always be like, no, no, I'm like way too emotional. I'm, I'm too empathetic, which I am all of those things. Like, I would consider myself fairly sensitive, I would consider myself a very empathetic person. But you can learn good boundaries. And even within my counseling classes that I've taken at school, I'm like, like, I feel like even with my friends, they can, or my siblings, they can tell me really, really hard things. And I'm able to like sit in it with them, but also not, Mm -hmm. I don't know, just like if you think you're too emotional or too XYZ, like Mm -hmm. there are things that can be, that can be learned, I guess Mm -hmm. is what I'm saying.
2: Totally. And I think it comes down to the desire you have for it. Like if you're too sensitive and you don't want to learn how to, you know, have better boundaries around that, because that's just not of interest to you, then yeah, don't do it. It's okay. Right. But if, but if you are, if you are feeling like certain weaknesses, I felt like I was on the other part of the spectrum, um, Haley, that I was just like too cut off in certain ways or, you know, too walled up. And, like, how am I going to be a therapist who's really connecting with people if I'm not willing to, like, tap into myself? Yeah. But I could, you know, I can learn to open up my boundaries. Yeah. And so, but you have to have just that desire and interest. And, again, I think, like, this is just one of those careers where it's, like, you're always going to be learning, right? Because mm-hmm. there's just, like, whether it's grief counseling or abuse counseling or, you know, marriage counseling or kids, like, it's endless. And, like, if you love that, if that's exciting to you, you will find your place somewhere in this yeah. Um so, yeah, definitely don't don't judge yourself before having, like, walked the, the journey. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: That's
1: awesome. Um, sure. We have one more question. Also, I think I have another question. I, yeah,
2: I love talking
0: about <laughs> yeah.
1: this. Stuff. It's so interesting. I know. Um, okay, so one of – so our last question, second to last question, um, <laughs> is what would you say to somebody who is wanting to try counseling, who thinks, like, okay, maybe it's time to reach out and get help, but is – hesitant or is nervous or doesn't know what that process is going to look like, like, what would you say to someone in that situation?
2: Yeah. Um, I think it goes back to trusting your gut. Like if there's any part of you that wants to try going to therapy, there's a reason, even if you don't know what that reason is. Mm -hmm. Uh, we have like explicit memory and implicit memory. So I'll go back to the body. Right. So explicit memory is memories we can recall. Implicit memories are formed from, you know, in utero to 18 months. And that's actually what, our nervous systems respond to. So like I said, let's say you're having a conversation with someone and they say something and you get angry and you're like, why am I getting angry? Right. Something in your implicit memory was triggered. Mm -hmm. So a lot of therapy helps make that implicit explicit for you. And if anything, that's just like a new thing you get to learn about yourself. So it's not that therapy is this like navel gazing, you know, um, thing but I don't blame you for being scared (laughs) I don't blame you for like not wanting to know if it's something you want to do especially because you are entrusting yourself to a complete stranger and what normal person would ever do that was like their (laughs) deepest thing so like first of all you're completely normal (laughs) for like having some questions about how to do that in a way that feels safe and um and okay um but my I think Again, trusting your gut. if there's a part of you that wants it, there's a reason. And it's just a great a great thing to help you um, know yourself better. And so the best way that I've been able to do is just asking for referrals from people I do trust. Mm-hmm. you know, And I think that it's surprisingly a pretty small world. like people know people in this field, and that's another thing about being a therapist. You get to be part of an amazing community. Um, but when you're looking for someone, talk to friends who you know have gone to therapy and have been successful in that. Mm-hmm. And um, and I, it probably took me like three different therapists that I tried until I found someone who I felt yeah. like I could really, really be myself in and not feel like I had to hold back. Um, but it's been the best thing ever. Again, like yeah. if you believe in healing, um, whether um, through your faith or you know um, or whatnot this is one path to, to helping you heal um, and become more yourself. And yeah. I don't know. I just feel like, you know, your life does go fast. And um, the more yourself you can be in the day, I think the more fulfilled you're going to be because yeah. you get to give yourself away, right? So the more yeah. you have, the more you get to give. And it's going to be really exciting. So just talk to people. You can always reach out to me. I'm happy to make referrals. Yeah. But um there's there's nothing wrong with you for being cautious or for not knowing how to go about it. It's a completely unnatural thing to do. <laughs> but um, the, every I, I have just met so many therapists and I have so much respect for them. And um, you'll know when you found the right one. too. Yeah. You know, like it will take time, but you'll know when you found someone who you feel like you can talk to, whether it's through their bio online or their picture. You know, I've had their, I've had clients come to me like, oh, I I chose you because of like your picture. And I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) Like, really? What did you see? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But it's just, there's something about me that felt familiar Mm -hmm. and that's okay. You know, so there's no right or wrong way to choose a therapist, whether that's a referral, that's researching something they said in their bio that resonated to you, or there's just a look in their face that feels, you know, familiar. Yeah. Um you'll know. So just try again, just trust yourself. Like don't make the judgment before you've tried. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um okay, last question which I didn't run by you. Uh, <laughs> Uh-oh. But um so you kind of you kind of briefly said like faith in your last answer and obviously um like knowing you you're a Christian mm-hmm. and so I feel like we have a really p- big problem in the church around talking mm-hmm. about these issues. Um whether it's, like, addiction or, like, I, f- or um, any sort of, like... Just, like, needing therapy. Yeah, or, yeah, anything going on. I feel like it's... People are very quick to label things as sin. Mm-hmm. You know, like, addiction is sin, uh, anxiety is sin, like, mm-hmm. all of these things. And I have a really hard time with that um, mm-hmm. as a Christian, mm-hmm. and I... Or um, and then people also just being like, well, you just you're just not trusting God. You you don't trust God enough. You're not totally. you need to pray more. Yeah. Like, can you speak to that a little bit? Like, what can we as Christians, as the church, mm-hmm. do to have that conversation better? Because mm-hmm. I just feel like the responses that are responses that are typically given are not like in alignment with Jesus, because so much of Jesus is sitting with people in their suffering. Yeah. And like literally suffering with us and for us. So yeah. can you speak to that a little bit? Totally.
2: Like you said, there's so much there. And you know, this is not a sufficient amount of time to go through all of the issues. But um, I guess if I just had to make like a few points around it, I think it's beautiful to pray, right? Of course, as Christians, we pray prayers are dialogue with with Jesus. And um, it's a time that we invite him into our minds and hearts. Um, we can certainly ask for miracles, you know, God take away my depression or God fix my anxiety, um, take away this addiction I have. There's nothing wrong with praying for those miracles, but God also gives us other tools to help us along the way. And mm-hmm. part of those other tools are other Christians or other people in our life. And so if you think of therapy as like a form of accompaniment, you know, a form yeah. of helping others, we know that Christ is mediated to us and, you know, family or friends or. People at church, so it it's hard for me to imagine why we would reject the way that God has chosen to mediate Himself yeah. to us, which is through other people. So, um, so yeah, I think, um, I think therapy is a way in which we accompany others, and Christ reveals Himself to other people, and you know we do have you know, research and we do have studies and we yeah. know there are some things that are more helpful to other things. And so we have this, you know, uh, plethora of tools and skills that we get to learn in therapy, whether that's cognitive behavioral therapy or whether that's exposure therapy or, um, whether that's, um, you know, um, motivational interviewing to help you overcome addiction there's just so many different ways that we can be healed in our work with one another so i think therapy is a work of the church and i think it's profoundly christian Mm -hmm. um you know god became man in christ so he elevated our humanity in becoming one of us and we get part of our humanity is psychology and behavior Mm -hmm. and (laughs) all those other things so I just think it's profoundly Christian and I think it's really reductionistic um, and dangerous to um to to count on the miracle when God is giving us himself in these Mm -hmm. other ways so not that miracles don't happen right but um we walk the journey and we can still pray for the miracle so Mm -hmm. I don't think those two are opposed I think they reinforce one another and um so much of therapy is inviting Christ into that work um, and then I think in terms of the sin piece, gosh, that's so hard. You know, I mean, you think of a baby whose mom was on like Coke or meth, right. you know, and the long lasting effects that that has, or, you know, uh, someone who was in a car accident and get, you know, loses it. You know, I have a client who doesn't have any legs and they're on, you know, they had chronic pain and addicted yeah. to medication. And it would be hard for me to imagine that sin, although right. it's not for me to judge at the end of the day, right? right? Yeah. The level of culpability that the person has with the cards that they've been dealt is not for me to judge. Jesus said, I judge no one. So right. um, there, there is such a thing as sin. It certainly has um, an impact on people's level of suffering. There are many ways to help that suffering in, in, the, in the work of the church, one of which is repentance, And the other one is just which is learning these tools that God has given us Mm -hmm. to help us not feed our addiction through the accompaniment that we have through therapy and group therapy and all that. So I just think if we start seeing these things as holistic, as um, opposed to one another, um, I think we'll see that Christ is with us in everything that we're doing.
0: Wow that was answered really well yeah <laughs> good job thank you thanks so for having awesome. me uh, prepare <laughs> yeah
1: um yeah thank you so much uh is there like some place that people can find you um I don't know if you have a yeah. website or um no I don't but
2: if my name is
1: in here uh, yeah or it'll be we'll in link. the podcast yeah. you can just
2: google me and the practice that I work at therapy with heart will pop up then Perfect. you can find me
0: awesome mm-hmm. yay thanks so yeah. much for being here yeah. and for just having this conversation with us Thanks. This i cannot fun. wait to re-listen to this yeah <laughs> <laughs> i like taking notes Aww.
2: same
1: that's so yeah.
2: sweet no you, you ladies are awesome and the work you're doing is beautiful so oh
1: yeah. thank you that's thanks for so having nice. me yeah. yeah do you want to say our outro for us it's just bye sis wait what (laughs) you say you just say oh bye Bye, sis sure let's just like that okay i can do that one two three bye Bye, sis